Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Saturday, May the 8th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, the UK political scene, the aftermath of the bloodletting in the Labour Party, and some heads have already started to roll. Plus, a happy night in London for Sadiq Khan, re-elected as the mayor of London. That, and maybe an additional observation or two, coming up next. Welcome back. So here we are on Saturday, May the 8th, and... Politics, politics is going to be the name of the game here. I mean, that is what you would expect if you come across a, pol- a podcast named The Politocrat. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, one and all, for listening. Um, I am Omar Moore, and I really appreciate your time on this Saturday. I hope your Saturday has been... Um, one that you're comfortable with, one that sees you healthy and fit and well, and in reasonably good spirits, considering everything that we're all going through in this pandemic and also in our own lives, in our own ways, and uh, the situations in our lives, may they all improve, may they all improve, you know, in your life, um, dear listener, whatever you're going through, or whatever family members of yours are going through, or whatever you're going through, uh, within the family or anywhere else, please, um, I do wish you all the very best and that your situation improves. And uh, that things get better in general. I really, I really do. So I do want to thank you for listening. And, uh, you know, we have politics, politics, politics here. Um, it's going to be the UK that I'm talking about, not the United States, because... Um, those of you in the United States know very well what's going on, or at least I, I'm sure you do. I think you do. We are really facing in the United States um, a right-wing takeover, which has already happened. I mean, let's not beat around the bush about that. But we are now dealing with a straight-out theft of the democratic process. It's not the first time a theft of the democratic process has happened in the United States now. Come on. But I'm talking about all of these states are not even wiping their asses anymore after they've done a number two. I mean, they are just putting it all out there for us to see and smell. And it stinks like rotten. That's how ugly and disgusting it is when you have all these state legislatures controlled by Republicans who are ramming through these illegal bills, these illegal laws. Is there such a thing as an illegal law? Yes, there is. Think about it. And this is an attorney telling you this. (laughs) There is such a thing as an illegal law, an immoral law, an unholy law. There are such things. And you see what's going on now with the Republican Party. They are passing all of these laws that are absolutely unconstitutional, and criminal and they've got power and they've got control which is why these things are being passed we must stay vigilant 
we must stay vigilant and we must keep putting pressure on all of these officials in both parties and on the local level as well as the state and federal level. And we've got to get into these state legislatures. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start running in those, really. It really upset the apple cart and dilute the power of these people because this is where the sausage gets made. And lo and behold, you turn around next year during the midterms and you'll be saying, oh my goodness, the Republicans won all these seats. I wonder why. Don't be that person next year. Do not be that person, please, in the next 18 months. Who is saying that? Please don't be that person. I implore thee, do not be that person. And that's all I'm going to say about United States politics. <laughs> After promising not to talk about it. That's all I'm going to say about it. I want to get on to the United Kingdom politics. And there's politics, of course, beyond the United Kingdom um, and elsewhere around the world. And I do endeavor to actually start to talk about some of the political situations going on in other countries. And not just, I'm certainly not going to only concentrate on countries like Denmark or Spain. I'm going to be talking about African countries. You're going to be hearing from me about that. You're going to be hearing about Asian countries. I'm going to start to talk about the political situations in a lot of the countries that you, dear listener, do not get to hear anything about in your corporate news media. Unless, of course, you are an avid reader of the kinds of media and the kinds of things on YouTubes that on your TVs tell you about the African continent, tell you about what's going on in St. Vincent, tell you about what's going on in the Caribbean, tell you about what's going on in Scandinavia, tell you about what's going on in Southeast Asia, tell you about what's going on in Japan, in, you know, South Korea, and come on. You think, I mean, the, the media in the United States focuses on maybe eight countries on the planet, and you can name all eight of them, right? One of them is definitely going to be the United States. The other one's going to be the United Kingdom. That's two. That's two right away, right? Then you're going to hear about South Africa. That's three. Then you're going to hear about Australia, four. Then you're going to hear about India, five. Pakistan, six. Japan, seven. Russia, eight. Those are your eight countries. And maybe France. We'll throw in France for number nine. Ten. Spain. Okay, that's it. Ten countries. That's enough. That dude. And you'll be. And then we may make. We make it 11 if you say Mexico. But Mexico doesn't even make as much news. It doesn't get on the news as often as a place like... Well, I don't know. But I want to talk about the United Kingdom. <laughs> we have had over the last uh, 48 hours now, plus, um, at least at the time of this, it's roughly 48 hours, we have had now the... Um, results now, at least of the last uh, two days of the United Kingdom elections, the by-elections that took place on Thursday, May the 6th. That's just two days ago now. And had a lot of things. And I talked about this on yesterday's episode where Labour has continued to shrink into obscurity and irrelevance. It really pains me to actually say that, dear listener. And I'm not going to repeat it because it pains me that much. Labour has become now that kind of party. And one of the things I didn't get to yesterday in the episode was how on earth, how on earth 
are people voting for a party that is largely responsible for 128,000 deaths. Not even largely responsible. They are responsible. Or maybe should I say irresponsible? Bringing about 128,000 deaths of people. Really? And yet, people in the UK are still voting for the Conservatives. Why? Why would you be voting for the Conservatives? That's one thing I didn't really get to yesterday, but you understand, I've talked about this in the past. But what was highlighted in the news media in the UK a lot on Thursday night was Hartlepool. And the narrative was already set by the media, and I fell into it too, about Hartlepool. Hartlepool is a city roughly 25 miles south, uh, or south, I would say probably southeast of Sunderland. Sunderland is a town in the northeast of England. It is not all that far away from Newcastle. Newcastle is very is fairly close to the Scottish border. And Newcastle and Sunderland, in terms of football, um, do not like each other very much. <laughs> you know, Tyne Tees, the Wearsiders, you know, you know Sunderland are the Wearsiders, um, you know, Tyneside is a Newcastle, and I think Teesiders are Middlesbrough. I don't remember, um, but it could be all the same, but or maybe not. And people who support those football teams, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, or Newcastle, can talk about it and let me know at politocratpod at gmail.com. Actually, I tell you who would know is Natalie Collins. Natalie Collins, who you may remember, um, I had on this particular podcast a few months ago talking about gender violence and talking about the way we have conversations about gender and gender violence and what we can do and deal with and how we deal with toxic masculinity and defeat toxic masculinity and the patriarchal structure that's around it. Uh, really good, a really great conversation there with Natalie Collins, who is, uh, she calls herself a gender justice advocate. And we had a really good conversation earlier this year and she talked to me about um, Sunderland, where she's from, is from Sunderland, or where she is located is in Sunderland. So anyway, all of that is to offer background, by way of background, to say that Hartlepool is roughly 25 or so miles southeast of Sunderland, to the best of my knowledge and memory. Yeah, I think it is. I've never been to Hartlepool, but I know that it is in that general area, and it's roughly 25 miles or so away. So it's further north, and the north in, the, in England has traditionally been a Labour stranglehold, for lack of a better word. Labour have, for many years, dominated the north of England. They've dominated the northwest of England as well. And for me, what I found interesting is not only, of course, the bloodletting of Labour continuing, but the way the media stuck on Hartlepool alone and did not talk about anything else in the in the country, basically, except for um, the Conservatives not doing well in Scotland and not doing well in Wales. Well, of course, Wales is a Labour stronghold, and that um, was a Labour-dominated place. They didn't talk so much about that, or as much as I thought they should. And it begs my question, why is it that Labour does so well in Wales, but not in the north of England? Why did Labour have such a bad night in England, but have a very good night in Wales? And yes, there's history and there's all kinds of things that go into that. I get it. 
But Labour in the United Kingdom, in England particularly, has been a very, very strong force, at least it had been, in the working class, in the, the working roots. The north and northeast and northwest of England was heavily Labour and still is to a large degree. But what happened in 2016 with that referendum was to really turn things on its head as a lot of people in some of those areas I've mentioned voted to leave. And I think that trend from 2016 carried on through the 2019 general election that saw Boris Johnson and the Conservatives absolutely crush Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. Excuse me. It was one of the most grotesque defeats in the history of Labour. As a matter of fact, with the 80 or so seat majority that Boris Johnson and the Tories picked up in the Houses of Parliament, House of Commons, back in December of 2019, it was the worst defeat of the Labour Party in a general election since 1935. You have to understand, 1935. And you know what was happening in the world in 1935, don't you? You do know what was going on in the world in 1935, right? You know, that's how long it's been since Labour got his ass taken to the woodshed like that. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. I practically was dared to walk down the streets here in San Francisco, no less, with a labor shirt on the day after. The day after that election. It was such a painful, pain. And I've got a labor t shirt that has, you know, the traditional labor t shirt on, you know, the red t shirt with the white labor logo on it and the rose, you know. I actually was dared, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. I, I, even even I am not going to go there because I want to wear that shirt and I will wear it again. But right now, there are people in that party who are absolutely doing the party no favors whatsoever. I'll get into that in a short bit before I summarize here. Um, the media's focus was primarily on Hartlepool. I understand it was a big story. The fact is that Hartlepool had never... Um, been in anyone's control but the Labour Party's in all 47 years of his existence as a seat being made for uh, elective office. 47 years, right? And there had never been a female politician in the history of Hartlepool, an MP in the history of Hartlepool, until 48 hours ago with um, the Conservative who got in and became the first woman as well, first conservative, the first woman. 47 years in the making. And this is really concerning. And so the media focused on that almost all the time. Adam Boris Johnson came up, visited with the winning candidate. Um, forget her last name now, but her first name was Jill. And it's a shame, I don't remember her last name. Oh dear. Um, my apologies to you all. But But the thing is, Boris Johnson goes up there on Friday and I played you an excerpt from that yesterday and he's up there. He's got an inflatable doll across the street from him. I mean, it's just an absolute joke. It's like these people, you know what it's like? The way Labour has performed in these last two or three elections and ironically, the best showing they had was 2017. 
in the general election, the snap election, that Theresa May called. Theresa May, then the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, called a snap general election, a snap election. And people were saying, don't do that. She did it, and she only barely clung to power. Jeremy Corbyn, as Labour leader back then, performed very well. They lost by a, literally by a hair's breadth. And they've not done well since. Corbyn was not a strong Labour leader. I know there were factions in Labour that really love him. I actually liked him and respected him. But there's things about Jeremy Corbyn that do not make me feel very confident about who he is and the direction he really wants to take Labour in. And I don't know that he he's more of an activist, which is a good thing, than he is a political leader. And you need to be both. And I don't think Jeremy Corbyn is both. And besides, there have been these accusations of anti-Semitism. Look, the stuff that that is, that's where I definitely draw the line, which is why I was absolutely in favor of Sakia Starmer withdrawing the whip from Jeremy Corbyn last year because it had to, it had to happen. Had to happen. I know there'd be people listening who think, no, Jeremy Corbyn should still be Labour leader. I don't think he should be. But then again, I don't think that Sakia Starmer right now is doing himself any favors. And again, I'll get into that in a few moments. But the narrative in the media in, in the UK was all about Hartlepool. But nobody talked about Joanne Anderson. Who is Joanne Anderson, you might ask? I'm going to tell you all about who Joanne Anderson is in just a moment. I'm a little bit shell-shocked, um, but I feel like absolutely ecstatic. I'm so proud of our city for having faith in me. That was Joanne Anderson on Thursday night. Joanne Anderson. If you don't know who Joanne Anderson is, you are going to get to know Joanne Anderson really very, very soon. Because I'm going to tell you about Joanne Anderson. Joanne Anderson made history, not once, but twice, on Thursday night. And while everyone was talking about the first female politician in the history of Hartlepool, first female MP, Member of Parliament, the, while everyone was talking about that, while everyone was talking about the first conservative seat, the first seat to be won by a conservative in Hartlepool's 47 years as a town for a, a seat on the House of Commons, while everyone was talking about that, Nobody, 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 nobody was talking about Joanne Anderson on the national corporate news media in the UK. Nobody in England was certainly talking about Sky News. I watched their coverage. I actually like Sky News. Sky News used to be owned by Rupert Murdoch. He owned Sky. He used to, that was his company. Not anymore. Dropped out of Sky News as well. And so Sky News now calls itself calls itself the voice of independent news. That's a parrot, that's roughly what they call themselves. Uh, the home for independent news, I think is the exact title. And it's so independent, Sky, they didn't even talk about Joanne Anderson. I mean, I, come on now. Joanne Anderson, I haven't told you who she is yet. 
Joanne Anderson made history twice on Thursday night. She became the first female mayor of Liverpool. And she became the first black woman to be mayor of Liverpool. I want to first congratulate Joanne Anderson on becoming the mayor of Liverpool. And it's a tremendous accomplishment. She's also a Labour Party member. So in the interests of balancing your news coverage, Sky News, and anybody else who reported on Hartlepool all night long and, and didn't say a darn thing about Liverpool, that other pool, I mean, there's a few. There's Blackpool, Hartlepool, Liverpool. Any other pools? Swimming pools. But how can you talk about Hartlepool and not talk about Liverpool? And not talk about Joanne Anderson? In the interest of balanced coverage... You might want to balance that story about the Conservative winning with the story about the Labour Party winning big in Liverpool with history on its side, with the first female mayor of Liverpool and the first black woman mayor of Liverpool. Do you know what that means? Liverpool, like Bristol, I believe, and other places in England were ports for enslavement. And let me tell you, most of the enslaved black people who were brought to England as part of the transatlantic slave trade, enslavement trade, were brought to the port of Liverpool. Literally brought to the port of Liverpool. I kid you not, that's my worst um, Merseyside, my worst Liverpool accent. I've been to Liverpool many times, a number of times. By the way, for those of you, when, when, it, when it's okay to travel again, when it's safe to, and when you've hopefully been all fully vaccinated, and you're allowed, and then the UK government, Boris Johnson and the Tories, allow you back in, and you don't have to quarantine for 10 days. You know, they, they've opened up the travel now for about, what, 10 countries? Never mind the fact that some of those 10 countries don't even want us there. Sod off, you lot. Sod off. We don't want you. Sod off. He's <laughs> like... But we've opened it up. You know, Boris Johnson said, oh, you know, we can go ahead. You can, you can, you don't have to quarantine when you come back. You know, so, but the bottom line is, look, listen, here's what I want to say. <laughs> this is where Liverpool was the, uh, the busiest trading point for black people, uh, black people being enslaved, black people being traded. They were traded in a number of places in England, but particularly in Liverpool. Go to the International Slavery Museum in Liverpool. That's the first, if you're in, whenever you're in Liverpool, like I was, trying, I was finished, trying to finish saying, when it's okay to travel again, make Liverpool your first destination in England. I mean that. London, of course, you've got all week to do London, right? You need to go to Liverpool first. That's what I, well, I don't always do that, but I have been known to do that, Right? Liverpool is your first destination. Spend a day there. Spend two days there. It's a really great city. It is. But make sure you visit the International Slavery Museum 
Pronto. Make that your first stop. It's right on the Albert docks. You've got to go there. On the Mer- You've got to go there. And there's a number of other great museums in Liverpool. And it's all F-R-E-E. You don't pay a penny. You don't pay a penny. Not a shilling do you pay to any museum in Liverpool. It's really great. And that includes the International Slavery Museum. And you get to see all of the history, the enslavement, where we as black people were, were auctioned, where we were sold off, where we were, goodness, I mean, everything, everything, all of it, the heinous, painful, evil things that were done to us, our ancestors, right? Penny Lane, that the Beatles sing about, that is a major, major place where enslaved black people were taken and traded and auctioned and everything else. And you know, people act like uh, Penny Lane is just a song. It ain't just a song. You have to go to this museum. It's amazing. It's so enlightening. I, and I go there all the time. Every time I'm in Liverpool, that is literally the first place I go to. Honestly, I kid you not. It's a really important place. It will take you probably two hours to do it properly. If you really... Uh, do it the right way. It will take you probably two, maybe two and a half max. But you need to go in there and really open your eyes and ears to the history of your country, England. If it's your country or if it's not your country. Whoever, you know, whether, whether you are from England or not, and I am from England. But whether you are or not, you've, and you've never been to Liverpool, make the International Slavery Museum your first stop. Then you can go to the Beatles. Then you can go and tour the Beatles. You can do all the Beatles that you want. But I'm sorry, you got to start with the International Slavery Museum. So all of that is to say that in a, in a port town, right, where Joanne Anderson's ancestors, right, were presumably, whether they were there in Liverpool or somewhere else, were brought in chains and were traded and sold and bought and auctioned Right? Here comes now, hundreds of years later, a black woman as the first mayor, first black woman to be mayor of Liverpool. That really means something to me personally as a black man. But it also should mean everything to anyone who is listening. Liverpool is a great city. Now, look, there's some things about Liverpool I don't like. You know, there's racism in Liverpool. There's racism in San Francisco. There's racism in Stuttgart. There's racism in Stockholm. There's racism in... Shall I continue? I I mean, Liverpool, in general, is a decent place. Decent place. And I know people call Birmingham the second city in England... Liverpool is, mate. Liverpool is the second city. I know that will rub a lot of people wrong who are from Birmingham. Birmingham is a, is a night. I like Birmingham, but it ain't the second city compared to Liverpool. Liverpool is a really nice city. It's a nice, a really... People are generally friendly, but look, again, it's not true of all the people there. And I remember going to Liverpool years ago, and I would get dirty looks walking into pop, to pubs. I'd get dirty looks from the white men sitting there, the white boys sitting over there giving me dirty looks. I remember that. 
That was not that long ago, dear listener. Not that long ago at all, at all. was not that long ago. And here we are in 2021. And we have the first black female mayor of Liverpool. This is so important that Joanne Anderson got elected. She is the mayor-elect, but very soon she'll be the mayor of Liverpool. And this is just, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm over the moon about that. That was the biggest political story for me over the last 48 hours, which I didn't talk about yesterday, but should have, but I'm talking about it now. So, Joanne Anderson, a round of applause to you. Congratulations. I would love to have Joanne Anderson, the mayor, Mayor Anderson, on this podcast, and I'm trying to make that happen. Um, you know, wish me luck. I really would like to just say congratulations to her, but also just to talk about um, politics for her and what politics means to her and what public service means to her. Those are the kinds of things I'd love to talk to her about and have a conversation about with her uh, and and, uh, what her vision is going to be for Liverpool because Liverpool does need to... um, The economic situation in Liverpool ain't great, just like the rest of the country in England, but the economic situation in Liverpool in particular ain't good. It ain't good. Um, and only just a week or two ago, as I think I told you, um, there was this, I think yesterday, the day before I told you this, there was an experiment uh, of this concert was, was uh, had and there were 3,000 people. No mask, no physical distancing. They were all packed. I kid you not. All packed into a space, jumping up and down, shouting as an experiment. Seriously, this is a true story, dear, dear listener. And that happened a week or so ago. And all these people were in their 20s and 30s and thereabouts, teens, for this concert by the Blossoms or whatever that band was. And the band member, the band leader, I think, the leader of the band saying, well, you know, I'd much rather, I'd rather come back next year and do this rather than now. And this is these test events. Liverpool needs, is going through a lot of difficult things, but it's doing some good things at the same time. And I think Joanne Anderson's going to absolutely turn that city um, through the stratosphere with with who she is, a really, a really, really, really was just buoyed, buoyed by her win. That is an absolute success. And Sky News barely talked about it. Why am I not surprised? And you know, the rest of them didn't. Maybe Channel 4 might have talked about her. Maybe Channel 4, but the BBC. Unless it's BBC Merseyside, but, you know, but outside of BBC Merseyside, the radio station, they, they didn't talk about her. And, and I think you should be talking about history and not just on the conservative side, but this is a big deal for Labour. And while everybody was talking about how Labour got its ass kicked, which it did, nobody talked about Joanne Anderson. I find that to be absolutely ridiculous and disgraceful and a lot of other things. But I just wanted to let you know about Joanne Anderson. And she is at, well, I think her handle now is um, whatever her <laughs> Twitter handle. I can't believe I'm not getting it. Listen, let me just get you her Twitter handle. It's Joanne4Mayor. Now, I'm sure there's another Twitter handle she will have soon that has the word mayor in front of any other word that's going to follow, like Mayor Anderson, something like that. But Joanne for Mayor, and that's Joanne with two N's and an E. Because there's at least two or three ways to spell Joanne. Um, certainly at least two ways to spell it. Uh, but Joanne 4, and the number is the number 4, not F-O-R, but the number 4, 
as in one, two, three, four, for mayor. Joanne for mayor is her Twitter handle. Please follow Joanne Anderson. And I'm sure she'll end up having a, a uh, another um, Twitter handle, but you've got to follow her. This was so, she is Liverpool born and raised. She bleeds Liverpool. I mean, she's absolutely um, one of Liverpool's own and uh, one of the daughters of Liverpool, Joanne Addison. I'm, I'm absolutely, I really would really love to talk to her uh, and talk to her about what I just said, which is we know about her vision, number one. Number two, the, um, what she uh, sees, you know, in politics now and, and, and how she sees the political landscape. And obviously Labour is going to be part of the discussion, but also about Liverpool uh, and where Liverpool goes and, and what Liverpool can do. Because Liverpool has been reliably reliably Labour for so long. Liverpool has been basically one of the last bastions in the Northwest for Labour. So is Manchester. Manchester as well. Manchester is roughly um, half an hour away from Liverpool. Uh, a bit, that's not true. About 45 minutes to an hour, actually. I was mixing up the miles. The miles is about 33, 34 miles away between Manchester and Liverpool, about 33 miles away. So um, the time to get there, uh, if you take a train from Liverpool to Manchester, you'll get there in just under an hour. Just under an hour. It's a a nice train ride too, by the way. Yeah, depending on what kind of train you're, uh, compartment you're in. (laughs) If you're you're in the the regular compartment, eh, not so good. But if you're in a a quiet car and a luxury car and anything like that, yeah, you might want to take that. I know it's a little bit more expensive, but you will find that it's worth it. But um, Joanne Anderson, just fantastic news. I, I know I've gone on about that because I think it needs to be gone on about. It's history we're talking about. Joanne Anderson, top of the morning to you. you worry about a thing and I, I love that line where it says don't you feel too bad when you get fooled by smiling faces I love that line because it's really an important line in that great song from an excellent album by Stevie Wonder called Inner Visions which I think is the greatest album Stevie Wonder has ever done but that line don't you feel too bad when you get fooled by smiling faces that's a really important line and that line resonates. And maybe in your life, you have been fooled by smiling faces. Anyway, that's a thought and an aside, but not completely an aside. You know, before I move on to Sakia Starmer and the craziness now that is Labour and the psychopathic Tories who continue to get people to vote for them, Thanks to their right-wing media friends like the Barclay Brothers, who own the Mail on Sunday and the Daily Mail, and other right-wing knuckleheads who love to lie to you and, and peddle you and pump you with lies and garbage and filth and hatred and tell you who to hate, who to fear, who to love, Boris Johnson, because you're supposed to love him, you know. God. And, you know, uh, you know, 
these psychopathic Tories. You know, you're still voting for them. I don't know why people in England are voting for these people. Because they're the party of austerity. They're the party that cut police. I know I'm someone in the US who talks about agreeing with the idea of abolishing these cops, these killer cops. That's what I mean. I'm all for abolishing their ass. Do not get me wrong and do not get it twisted. I am all for abolishing killer cops. And look, the system of policing in general is outmoded in the United States. The, the police came out of the enslavement patrols. Those patrols were violent and deadly and they killed black people who had the guts to run away from these strange people who were enslaving them. These strange, violent ass white folks who were absolutely enslaving them and branding them and whipping them and killing them and raping them so that when someone dared run away from rape, dared to fucking run away, excuse my language, to fucking run away from, from would-be death and lynching, dared to escape that, they would send these freaking roving bands of white men, murdering ass white men, to corral like we were some freaking, you know, wolf or dog or some, you know, bullshit like that. Corral us, really, and beat us and kill us. And chopped off part of our legs so we couldn't fucking run away again. And that's what was going on in these enslavement patrols. Yeah, I want to. And the police germinated from that. Do I want to abolish that? Hell yes. I wanted to use the F word again. But, you know, when you use the F word too many times, it kind of loses something, doesn't it? Oh, maybe not. No, it probably doesn't. It depends on how you say it. That's the key. (laughs) Because some people can't say the word fuck. They can't say it. And I don't know if it's because they've never done it or if it's because they're just afraid of it. They can't bring themselves... Or they were brought up in seminary in seminary school and that, and that scarred them forever. They, they can't say that four-letter word. There's lots of people who can say it. Al Pacino can say it. Here's a lot of people can say it. I just picked him because he says it really the way that I say it <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Off podcast, not on podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I want these enslavement patrols ab- abolished. I absolutely do. So if that means abolish the police, then I'm for it. I'm with it. I'm with those who say that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but what are you going to do about policing? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Let's try to figure out what we're going to do about it and fix it and change it. Not even fix it because you can't fix a system that's working very well for the people killing us in it. The fix is destroying the system and ending it. That's one of the fixes. It's the first fix. Anyway, before, before I get on to... The, 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 you know, and, and yeah, the, you know, again, you know, the Conservative Party, the ones that cut the police in the UK. I want, that's what I wanted to finish up with. I do, I travel, my mind travels in 18. This is when the danger of not doing this podcast with any script, because you really can, as I do, travel to 18 different destinations and you better make sure you end and get to each one of those 18. Otherwise, yeah, and there have been a few times where I've not, quite done that and I know I know I haven't 
and I know that from memory rather than from listening back um, to something because I will, will remember it a few minutes after the end of the podcast recording. Um, but the Labour, the Conservative Party cut something like 25,000 or 22,000 police in all of, in all of England and you know, the UK. Cut 22,000 police in the UK, in England. 22,000. And now they're saying, well, we are, if you elect us, we'll, we'll bring 20,000 new police on the force. And I'm like, motherfucker, you, you cut 22,000 of them, motherfucker. You're not doing any goddamn magic trick here on my ass. I'd see what you're fucking doing. <laughs> That's net net. You're still down 2,000 police. What are you talking about? Boris Johnson and the two... And they've hoodwinked you. They've hoodwinked people in England into voting for them again and again. It's like that part of the song by Aerosmith, Living on the Edge. Now tell me, Chicken Little, if the sky was falling, even if it wasn't, would you still come crawling back again? I bet you would, my friend. Again and again and again and again. Yeah, that's what these voters are doing. Now, they have every right. If you're a voter who's a conservative voter, you have every right to vote for who you want to vote for. Just like I have every right to vote for the party that got its ass kicked in 2019. I have a right to vote for them. But my God, man, when these people are continuing to lie to you, oh my God, and it's demonstrably proven that they've lied their asses off to you or their asses off to you. They've lied their asses off to you and you continue to vote for them. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't know what to do with that the information. Do you? Do you know what to do with information like that? When these people continue to jive you, these conservatives, and, you're st- and they're telling you they're bringing back 20,000 police. And they're the, one, they're the motherfuckers that cut 22,000 of them when Theresa May was your home secretary. Oh, she was a great home secretary, I must say. <laughs> Almost as good as Pretty Patel. <laughs> Pretty Patel is one of the worst home secretaries. Oh, my goodness me. Not competent for the job, for, for starters. There ain't none of these. I keep telling you. I'm only telling you. These Tories are not competent, but they are competent about destroying your life. Destroying any real notion of government. They absolutely take a toilet. They go to the toilet. They do number ones and twos on government. They run over civil, you know, oh, this civil servant, we want your opinion about whether or not um, Pretty Patel violated the. Uh, I almost said whether she violated the mission. <laughs> oh no, I can't finish that sentence. I'm not going to. That's not fair. That's not right. <laughs> I so want to finish that sentence, but I I'm not going to do it. But you know, you 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 have the civil servant telling you, you know, yes, you know she. Pretty Patel violated the ministerial code of when she bullied a whole load of civil servants over a year or two years or whatever. And and she was cursing at them and shouting at them and getting in their face and telling them, F this, you're bloody this, you're the cursing, bullying them, bullying them. And the 48 year civil servant says, Yes, 
Prime Minister, yes, um, uh, Priti Patel has violated the ministerial code. And as such, you're bound to resign when you've been found to violate the ministerial code. In England, you are, in anywhere, in any of the four nations of the UK, you are bound to resign. That is a resign, stand down immediately. I mean, really, that is a stand down offense, meaning resign. You can absolutely stand down right now. You can resign immediately. And, and uh, no, no. Prime Minister to the long time, I forget his name, long time civil servant, 48 years on the job. Knows what he's talking about. 48 years kind of, if you have enough experience and wisdom with that experience, you kind of know what you're talking about if you've been in a job like that for 48 blooming years. And then Boris Johnson, who's only been around a few more years than that, is telling this man, the guy who's been in the job for 48 years. Well, thank you for your advice, sir. Now, fuck off. And tell, I'm disregarding what you have to say. And I'm keeping Pretty Patel right next to me on the benches, on the front bench. Now, sod off. And he did. He literally handed his resignation within a couple of hours. He was gone. I'm done. My 48-year career finished. If I can't freaking well have my opinion taken seriously, um, this is me talking, not him. If I can, if I can't have that taken seriously, and he isn't gonna fire Pretty Patel for violating the ministerial code, I'm off. I'm not gonna do. It. I'm off. I'm not gonna be party to this. I'm not going to be party to this. So he left. He absolutely quit on the spot. Literally, well, within an hour or two, gone. Resignation letter tendered. Done. Let's form a circle around. Meanwhile, at number 10, let's form a circle around the Pritstar. I mean, this guy absolutely said that in a WhatsApp message. Kid you not. The Prime Minister, who you voted for, well, not you, but whose party people voted for in these by-elections. It's just ridiculous. And you know why they did? I explained some of this yesterday. Because the Labour Party don't have an identity. And that's why they keep, that's why you all, those of you this applies to, keep voting for this filth. Keep voting for the sleaze. You keep voting for the guy that's had 17 women in the last three months. I'm exaggerating. I mean, Boris Johnson, that dude has, by what, nine kids now? How many children is that Boris Johnson have? Seven? Not seven, not eight, not nine, not, you know, what is it? Not seven, not nine, eight, what is it? Ten, not, you know, not eleven, not nine. I mean, like, what, what, it, how, this guy has kids that he doesn't even know about, probably. This is how, this guy is so freaking skeezy. He's a skeezer. I mean, this guy is at, this guy is a, I'm, I'm not going there. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's real. It's just this is the guy that also, in my view, not just in my view, in any view, in many views, this is the guy that put Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe behind bars by lying. Oh yes, I think she took an active role in teaching this subversive thing in Iran. She was on vacation. She's on holiday in Iran. She wasn't doing anything subversive. And Boris Johnson got up there and lied. 
And bingo, there she went. And now she's still got... It's just so bad. Boris Johnson should not be anywhere near number 10. He shouldn't be anywhere near number 100 Downing Street, let alone number 10. This guy is an absolute freak. And uh, I've got to tell you something else. The reason why he is where he is and why this party has got 80-plus seats blooming majority and why they absolutely obliterated Labour again, even worse in some ways, in these by-elections than two years ago, is because the Labour Party have absolutely managed to take gold and make shit out of it. Sakir Starmer, if you're listening, and I know you're not, but if you are listening, and I tagged you on Twitter, by the way, if you listen to this, it's obvious that you don't know what the heck you're doing. It's obvious if if you know what you're doing, you don't have any idea of where it's going to. And you're not confident about what you're doing. And another thing, and I'll tell you this for nothing. You obviously think that firing Angela Rayner is going to solve your problems? If you think that firing Angela Rayner is a quick fix for a party like this, you've got another thing coming. That is not leadership. It's just not leadership. And that's the problem with Sakir Starmer. There, the leadership quality is not, he's not quite there, is he? He's not quite there. And I actually like Sakir Starmer. Now, listen, he ballsed up the, uh, those prosecutions when he was uh, the uh, director of the uh, Crown uh, Prosecutions Division, uh, pri- you know, yeah, public prosecutions division. He, he absolutely ballsed that, that situation up, didn't he? Those of you who follow that closely know what I'm talking about, where he got really involved in that and absolutely ballsed that whole thing up, didn't he? Uh, and, he and, and I think he's owned up to it, I think. I'm not sure. But... That was a nightmare. But his leadership as a Labour leader now, he now, I I think he's absolutely been exposed. There is no identity, at least with Jeremy Corbyn. You knew where he was and what he was. And you knew where he was coming from. Where is Sakir Starmer coming from as the Labour leader? And more importantly than that, What is the agenda of the Labour Party? I'm a Labour supporter. I can't tell you in two sentences what the Labour Party agenda is in 2020. And I've got the manifestos, I've got this. What is their their agenda? I don't know. If you're a Labour Party supporter or member listening to this right now, can you tell me in three sentences or less what Labour's agenda is and what they stand for. I'm not talking about the Labour of your grandfather or grandmother. I'm not talking about the Labour of your parents. I'm talking about the Labour Party of 2021 in the United Kingdom. What do they stand for? Exactly. And therein lies the problem. Sacking one cabinet member ain't gonna take care of the issues that the Labour Party has.
And so Keir Starmer, you really do need to pull your finger out and start to get serious about what's going on in the country that you are the Labour leader of. At least the party you're the Labour leader of. I mean, this is just absolutely criminal. You've got seats being taken out from under your nose in Hartlepool and you're firing and you're firing Angela Rayner. What is Angela Rayner being fired for? This is just pure political posturing. Angela Rayner represents more of the working class and the working stiff than Sir Keir Starmer does. And I know Sir Keir Starmer's background is not necessarily all silver spoon. It really isn't. At least I don't think so. But you're getting rid of one of the top cabinet members you have, who is certainly more left of center than Sir Keir Starmer is, and is absolutely someone who grew up in the working class. And you're getting rid of her. The Labour Party now is absolutely rudderless. And I've got to tell you, it's even worse now than it was when Jeremy Corbyn was in there. Because, you know, Jeremy Corbyn at least told you where he was coming from. I mean, the good thing about this Labour Party is that it is working on getting rid of anti-Semitism. That's the one good thing I can say for the Labour Party. And they are standing up about that. And they still need to do more. But what I don't like about this party right now is that it is too eager to sidle up to Boris Johnson. Yes, there are times at the Prime Minister's questions where Sir Keir Starmer does get one over on Boris Johnson, does absolutely challenge him. But that's all political theatre. We That's all soundbite theatre. And I played some of that to you a few, a few episodes ago. But this is not working right now. It's been a year, it's been more than a year that Sir Keir Starmer has been a Labour leader. And I'd like to pose this to anybody. Do you think that Sakia Starmer should continue in the job of Labour leader? Do you think that a new Labour leader is required? Do you think that Jeremy Corbyn should come back? Or do you think that a woman should be leading the Labour Party? A woman who has a sense of politics. Uh, someone not just to have a woman because she's a woman, because that's not what I ever advocate. All of these people need to be qualified, including these men, because we never talk about these white men being qualified. We never put any proviso on them. It's just taken for granted that they're in the charge of the show. They're in charge of the show. No one's asking about their qualifications. Oh, actually, there's an exception there. Failing Chris Grayling. You know, Chris Grayling, the transportation secretary under Boris Johnson or under Theresa May. And he was a disaster. That guy was horrible. And, you know, that's probably the only one I can think of who whose credentials were questioned. And there are others. But anyway, anyway, anyway. The point is, is that do you think we need a new Labour leader or is it too soon? There's been two embarrassments, one of them under the watch of Sir Keir Starmer, the other one under the watch of Jeremy Corbyn. But Jeremy Corbyn is not a parliamentary member of Labour anymore. He cannot vote as a Labour politician. He's still in the Labour Party as a member, but he is not in the party as an active voter in the party. So when there are votes on the floor in the House of Commons, Jeremy Corbyn cannot vote as a Labour Party member. He has to vote independent. He may choose to sit with the Labour bench 
or sit in the independent area of the of the of the uh, House of Commons. But look, let's face it now, Jeremy Corbyn has been made irrelevant and sidelined. But the problem with the Labour Party is it spent so much time, and I said this yesterday, I believe, in the episode. They spend so much time being so obsessed with the party and its image and not with the working class. And here's proof of that. You get rid of Andrea Rayner, Angela Rayner, excuse me. I just can't, that, that's the one of the most, you know, that just killed. I mean, really, how are you? F- oh, dear. This is just ridiculous. And until Labour starts to dig down deep and reattach itself to its own working class roots and gets back to where it should be, you're going to have this calamity. And I should have told you more about Joanne Anderson, who I think would be a great Labour leader too, let alone the mayor of Liverpool. It's amazing what she, you know, she grew up in, in, in Liverpool and she writes about this. You know, I, as a young black woman, the message I received from Thatcher's, received from Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher's Britain, was that I was the bottom of the pile, that I wouldn't amount to much. There were no, little no opportunities for working class families in Liverpool under the Tory government at the time. Our city was positioned for managed decline and we felt that in our communities right across the city, from Speak to Anfield and from Toxteth to Dovecote. Now listen, Tory, the Tory government has cut so much on the budget of Liverpool according to Joanne Anderson, from 2010, right, when there was a centralised government, that means they had um, a coalition government, really, um, of, um, oh gosh, Nick Clegg of the Lib Dems, Liberal Democrats, Lib Dems. Nick Clegg, by the way, is now this big uh, executive at Facebook in Santa, Santa Rosa or wherever, uh, not Santa Rosa, down in, um, in the Silicon Valley, excuse me, about 45 miles south of here in San Francisco. So 45 miles south of San Francisco is Nick Clegg, the former Deputy Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. <laughs> he, he's at Facebook. He's batting you-know-who from the platform or recommending it. And they, they're not inviting that piece of garbage back. And you know who I'm talking about, the piece of garbage I'm talking about. Um, but Nick Clegg was in power sharing with David Cameron. Oh boy, David Cameron has been let off so lightly. That's another name that those of you who are familiar with UK politics and politics in England in particular know very well. David Cameron, and if you're from England listening as well or anywhere else in the UK listening, you know this. David Cameron has been massively let off. He is not talked about He's, there's a scandal going on with him right now, and there's no big deal about that, it seems. This guy, he called the referendum for Brexit. Oh, yeah, let's do it, because this thing's going to fail. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, you know, this guy's not been politically accountable. Oh, I'm going to resign. And he resigned and never faced any accountability. I mean, some people will say, well, yes, he did, he resigned. But that's not accountability. That's just leaving your position. It's unbelievable. But Joanne Anderson talks about 63% in cuts from that joint government in 2010. So much for them Lib Dems. And, oh, Lib Dem land. Oh, dear. Oh, didn't they get their butts kicked also in 2019? Let me not forget. Joe Swinson, where are you? Joe Swinson, where are you? Joe? Joe? 
Come on, Joe, where are you? Um, oh, you lost your seat to someone in um, in in the green in, was it the Green Party or the SMP? The SMP beat you. Oh, the oh 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 SMP. Oh, was it the SMP that took your seat? Oh, oh dear, oh dear. I will stop knocking then. This really did happen. And that moment on TV when Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of the Scottish National Party, celebrated. Oh, i got to tell you, I do like Nicola Sturgeon. She's a great politician. Oh, she's, I know some people don't like, her poli- don't like her politics and don't like the way she's dealt with certain things. I can understand. There are some concerns. But above all, I think, even with that, I think she's weak. She's, she manages to dodge the political raindrops. She could have been held, she was found not guilty of, unlike Pretty Patel, she was found not guilty of violating the ministerial code a month or so ago. And people were still trying to get rid of her. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, give me a bit. Alex Salmon, who ran in his own political party. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, Alex, you did a great job there. Bang up job. You've done a heck of a job. And he didn't finish anywhere in those elections. And I know that somewhere, whether it's in... Uh, you know, in Holyrood or whether it's in you know Edinburgh, whether it's in Glasgow, Glasgow um, whatever Holyrood is. Holyrood isn't Holyrood, but... <laughs> but anyway, I know that Nicola Sturgeon's got to be laughing and toasting her former best friend and now political rival absolutely fell on his face. And I know that she drank some champagne and some other assorted alcoholic beverages to celebrate the downfall of Alex Salmond. Alex Salmond. Oh, gee, that's a whole nother episode. But anyway, this is Joanne Addison's absolute treasure. Um, absolute treasure. And by the way, please look at the newsletter because the newsletter from May the 8th, Saturday, May 8th, 2021, is going to have this link to this statement that Joanne Anderson, now mayor-elect of Liverpool, Joanne Anderson, made uh, during her campaign. It's really, really good. I can't read the whole thing out. Um, I would love to, but I've spent so much time talking about the fact that Labour absolutely stink right now. And we've got to do better as Labour people. We've got to. We've got to demand better out of these people. This is cr- How can the working... How can you have some of the working class now voting against Labour and voting for a party that doesn't care about them. We've got to get it done. We've just got to get it done. And the, the people can see that, we, that we're trying to get it done. And we got Brexit done. And I think the people are ready for us to just get on with it. Get on with it, don't you? We, we, we're here to get on with it. We're here to get on with the business of governing for the people. And we, we must do this. Because the people understand that we cannot proceed with all of this dilly-dally and delay. And it's about time that we get on with it and, and, and fight for the people and deliver results for them. And the people want change. The people want change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they're voting for you. <laughs> That's why they're voting for the Tories. Because the people want change. <laughs> if I had some beer here, I would be crying in it. Because to vote for change and you're voting for Tories. Yeah, that math don't add up.
and how they've shaped my identity. I do so because these experiences have forged my cast iron belief that there's far more that unites us than divides us. On a council estate, a working class boy, a child of immigrants. But I'm now the mayor of London. I'm a Londoner through and through. This city is in my blood. But I'm also a patriotic Englishman and a Brit who's proud to represent this nation's great capital. The experiences I've had through my life have shaped my belief that we all have a responsibility to do everything we can to build the bridges that bring us together rather than the walls that can only drive us further apart. That was Mayor Sadiq Khan of London. That was Sadiq Khan of London, Mayor Sadiq Khan of London, who has been re-elected to a second term as mayor. Now, actually, his term is only going to be three years because the election that took place on Thursday and the results that were revealed late on Saturday night in England were supposed to actually take place a whole year ago in 2020. But because, of course, of the COVID-19 pandemic, the elections across the country were cancelled. And I'm thinking it's a good idea they were because had they had those elections in a non-pandemic situation, I think Labour would really have been hammered because it would have only have been less than six months after the massacre Labour got in the general election. And I'm telling you, I think they would have got beaten even worse than they did this time. People are fed up. I get it. People are frustrated. People are fed up of a party that is directionless. And I think some of that is what people are reacting to. But they're also, I think, reacting to a lot of BS from the right-wing corporate news media in England in particular. And and this also, this fake populism that Boris Johnson represents. And Boris Johnson, by the way, used to be mayor of London. That is a true story, dear listener. For two terms, Boris Johnson was mayor of London and he was a disaster. Even though they voted for him twice here too in in London. Voted for him twice, disaster. But Sadiq Khan, who is the, speaking of first, I talked about Joanne Anderson earlier, but Sadiq Khan is the first Muslim person to be mayor of London. Uh, Listen, I think it's just great. It's great. It's a really good thing. And so I think a lot of the attacks on Sadiq Khan were all Islamophobic attacks. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's no question about it. And that's what I think you're hearing from people when they call up LBC, when they call up BBC Radio and they attack Sadiq on Radio London or they attack Sadiq on LBC. It's all, in my view, the vast majority. I mean, there are some things to raise questions about Sadiq Khan on. Of course there are. Knife crime is still an issue and it's not being talked about like it's one, but it is still an issue. You've got black kids knifing each other like it's a sport in some parts of these places. Go to Walthamstow, go to Hackney, go to the East End, go to Brixton and and surrounding areas, Stockwell, go to, uh, I mean, goodness gracious me, go to a load of the Peckham, these places, it's not a, it's not a picnic out here. So yeah, there's some things about uh, the Sadiq Khan needs to improve on, but he's a damn sight better than what you would have had Sean Bailey, conservative. 
He's a black man who has run conservative. He actually ran. And you look at the campaign, the final totals were 55% for Sadiq Khan and almost 44 points so-and-so for Sean Bailey. And it was very close. This is on the second ballot. On the first ballot, it was really close. In fact, well, not really, really close, but it was closer than people expected. And Sean Bailey was winning the first four or five boroughs of London that got announced. Sean Bailey was winning three or four of them, three out of four, and was leading. It was so early, though, but still, it was nervous, nervous times until all the other results came in and no doubt, London did the right thing in re-electing Mayor Khan. And I just love that because Mayor Khan got two terms and Donald Trump didn't. <laughs> Sadiq, you should be celebrating that, mate. You should totally be celebrating that. And you're still on Twitter. <laughs> and you're on Facebook too. <laughs> hey. Oh, Sadiq, you know. It's just great. Congratulations, sir, on uh, being a re-elected mayor. And as I said, it's going to be three years, three years, not four, because he's been serving when that election got cancelled in 2020, when all the by-elections across England, across all of the United Kingdom, got cancelled because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still ongoing, by the way. It's still going on. Do not wear, do not forget, do not forget to wear a mask and do not forget to get vaccinated, please. Um, but that election got cancelled last year and so Sadiq Khan obviously stayed in office as did everybody else for an extra year. Now, had he not won this election, he would have left and then within a day or so, Sean Bailey would have taken over and he would have served four years, not three. But since Sadiq Khan won and Sadiq Khan had the benefit of serving a year of what would be that second four-year term, he now only has three more years left, which is actually on track. So in 2024, there will be another election. And I don't think Sadiq Khan would be able to run for a third term. I'll have to go look that up, actually. Um, but he's done. A, I think he's done a decent job overall in London. Could be better. Could be a whole lot worse, though. Can't be as bad as Boris Johnson's eight years. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God, the Garden Bridge to Nowhere. You know, they talk about that bridge to nowhere the Alaska, in Alaska. Um, uh, Stevens, remember the, the politician out of Alaska? I think who passed away, um, if I'm not mistaken. The Bridge to Nowhere, a project that was so much garbage in it. And, and uh, Sarah Palin had a lot to do with that too, or part to do with it. The Bridge to Nowhere is a booming disaster. And, and Boris Johnson had a Garden Bridge to Nowhere in London. He, he threw... Something like 30 or 40 million pounds into it. And it was a failure. It didn't get done. It didn't get finished. It didn't get jacked. It wasn't used. It was just a fail. Even Sadiq poured money into that too. And then he stopped and said, ah, this ain't working. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of taxpayer money. It's a joke. And congratulations, Sadiq. And, um... It's so good to know that London is not as wackadoodle <laughs> as some of the parts of the country are. And I'm sorry. I mean, you can't be voting in Tories, can you? After everything, 11, 12 years of austerity, of universal credit that's been largely a failure. I mean, some people like universal credit. 
but it's really some kind of scam, isn't it? Universal credit for those who need the income. Oh boy, I, I just I, I I cannot put this into words, as you can hear. I'm struggling, struggling for words to to put together, and that's highly unusual for me. As to why people are continuing to vote for these folks. I think I just will marinate in that confusion for a little while longer. (laughs) Until tomorrow, maybe. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.